This is Jack Sawinski, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. I don't mind other guys dancing with my girl. That's fine. Welcome to Friars on the Farm. I'm Donovan, and coming to me via Zoom is Roy. Hello, everybody. Have you been paying attention to what's been happening down on the farm? Yeah. Some of these kids are playing pretty well. They're, the kids are all right, man. The kids are all right. Um, I thought you were going to go into that Patty the Batty kind of uh, uh, accent, but no. <laughs> no, I've got kind of a split opinion on that. I'll keep to myself. Oh, let the boys have a few cold ones on a Saturday. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, hey, if that's something that gets them all rallied together and kind of glues, you know, forms a bond, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Um. Well, let's get right to it because we got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, yeah. Luis Camposano got called up today. All right. People have been clamoring for this, waiting for a little extra bat to to inject some juice into the offense. So let's see what he can do. He uh, he had a nice deep fly ball in his one at bat last night. Yep. And then uh, first at bat, he uh, what did he do? He, just today, he he got the single, the, the, the cue ball single into right. Looks like he's sporting a full beard now. Well, he's a grown. He's a grown man. He's a grown man. He's absolutely a grown man. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited. I, I really think, um, I, you know, he's going to be our catcher of the future. If not, he is going to be a significant trade piece. I, I would like to see us keep him, um, just to make sure that, you know, because Noah's going to be coming up for free agency soon. Um, Alfaro, you know, was a was a one year uh, was a one year deal. Um, and we'll see where we go from there. And a hard, you know, and a power hitting catcher is hard to come by. Right. And I'm, I'm still not sure what we have with Alfaro. He was looking great in spring training. And then now he's struggling to make contact and who knows, uh, somebody made a nice point that there was a game. I can't remember what team, but they had the, their backup catcher as the DH there. Oh, it was the reds. When Stevenson got hurt, uh, they had their, their, backup catcher DH. And so then he had to enter as a position player and then they lost the DH for the rest of the game. They had to, you know, manage the pitcher spot now coming up in the order. So now with the third catcher on the roster, that gives you a little bit more flexibility as far as that's concerned. Yeah. And really a great excuse. Like I think today, like we have Austin Noah's the, is the catcher, but we also have the backup catcher. Well, we have a backup catcher in, in, in uh, reserve, but to not put both your catchers in the lineup. It's, it's kind of a bad idea. Right, right. All right, so moving on. Hey, let's get a picture of Ray Kerr. I know I saw Ray Kerr in spring training. Um, I'm like, who the hell is this kid? He was throwing BBs, um, slinging it from the left side. Um, I liked what I saw. He, uh, you know, The second time I saw him, he kind of gave up some runs. It wasn't so great, but like first time I saw him, he was just throwing bullets. And where the hell this kid come from? He got called up. He was uh, signed on a minor league deal in the offseason. Uh, he made, which makes him the 71st El Paso Chihuahua to make the major league debut. De- debut. That's oh, right. Well, congratulations to Ray <laughs> Kerr. That's awesome for him. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And, and we need help in the bullpen, you know, with the, uh, with the, with the starting pitching doing as well as they are, we could definitely use the extra arm. Well, and a, a minor correction to you, he was actually acquired in the Adam Frazier trade oh. uh, with uh, from Seattle, along with um, uh, Corey Rozier, who is now playing center field, I believe, in uh, Fort, Wayne. Fort Wayne. Yeah. 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 So congratulations for him coming up, making his MLB debut, getting his first save. He, you know, he looked just fine out there in his first appearance. So let's see how long he sticks. 
But that's one thing that, that I'm when I'm looking at the roster and the depth charts, I go on fan graphs and they've got these amazing depth charts yeah. that I can look in the double A and the triple A rosters and see at least a half dozen guys on each of those squads that I could see making a making a, a contribution this year. Yeah. And I don't remember yeah. that in the past where you look and you're like, well, I'm not sure. Um, oh, along those lines, the Padres right. signed Daniel Camarena uh, to a minor league contract. So last last week we announced that he was uh, he would, had departed and now he's back. That's excellent. Uh, and a little bit of a housekeeping here today uh, are the coveted outfielder for the Pirates, Brian Reynolds, uh, went on the COVID list and another guy went on the COVID list and they brought up friend of the podcast, Jack Zawinski, Hammer yes. and Jack and took Peter Marcano. Congratulations to Jack Zawinski, who will make his MLB debut MLB debut shortly. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And uh, we, we, you know, even though that they don't play for us anymore, we still hope the best for any, you know anyone that we've had on the podcast or really anyone in the Padres minor league system. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one ad, one last little piece of housekeeping. Um, a little news came across. The Padres sent pitcher Brian Medina to Minnesota as the player to be named later in the Taylor Rogers trade. So Brian Medina had not pitched much stateside, but he was a pretty highly regarded, uh, talented young arm. Um, I believe there were some outlets that had him like in their top 20 organizational wow. list. Um, so not exactly a, a, a throw in player to be named later kind of a guy. That's a pretty substantial person to throw in. Uh, but then I guess that offsets where the Padres uh, had to send some money to because now Minnesota was was close to going over the luxury tax. It's right. weird the whole science of of the whole economics of baseball how this all how this all plays out with these trades. Yeah, and, and how much? I mean, was it a couple hundred thousand dollars? Is it a handful of hundred thousand dollars? Just enough to kind of stay under, you know, nothing significant, <laughs> right? Right. So they got to cross all those eyes and dot those T's. Absolutely. So moving on, and I wanted to bring this up because I, I tweeted this out today. Uh, it might have been yesterday. It's been a long day at work for me. But more than baseball has come up with the hashtag, hashtag MILB at 35K. Now, this is from uh, more than baseball. For me, a $35,000 a year salary would mean more stability in my home, better support for my family in the Dominican Republic, and better living conditions for me in the United States. I could also help my brother more with his cancer treatment and medication a current high A minor leaguer who wished to remain anonymous. A $35,000 salary would give me the freedom to stop stressing about bills each month and focus 100% on being the best ball player I can be. That's Jared Coney, a AAA player for Oakland Athletics. Now, not everyone in AAA is making $35,000 a year. You know, If you're on the 40-man, you're making about 53. Um, I'm not sure what those top-level minor league uh, contracts are, but if you made, you know, if if every minor league made at least the minimum thirty five thousand dollars a year, that would go a long way in the off season. That would go a long way uh, during spring training. But I mean, particularly in the off season, where that, you know, several hundred dollars a month to a thousand or whatever is going to help with, you know, housing. It's going to help with training. It's going to help with not having to have a full time job or even maybe even have a less dangerous full time job. Just. Uh, a better way to treat the minor league player uh, where he can become the, you know, where he can actually train and be the best he can be. Yeah, that's huge. So they're, they're pushing for this. Um, I, I doubt we see it anytime soon, yeah. but 
this this groundswell of support has already made some significant changes. Uh, baseball is already paying the players a little bit more than they used to. Yeah. Uh, they have agreed to cover the housing. They've made changes to um, the clubhouse attendance uh, dues. So now players don't have to, you know, they're not obligated to send a decent chunk of their check over just to take care of the clubby. Uh, so, I mean, we're seeing small changes and I think a lot of it has been, has been brought on by this attention in the media on social media and in, you know, official like print media, uh, to highlight the, the, the living situations of the minor leaguers. So something like, you know, giving them just 35 grand for a major league organization to pay each of their guys, $35,000. You know, I haven't seen anybody run the math on that yet, but it's not a whole lot. You know, in the grand scheme of things, when you take a look at how much the major leaguers get paid, you know, how much money is thrown back and forth, and I'm sure how much the owners wind up getting to keep. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it's a shame that that all this has to happen just to pay these guys enough so they don't have to go get a job, you know, humping boxes for UPS in the winter. Right. Or working in their dad's machine shop or being roofers or any other kind of job that kind of takes you have a choice. Do I work right. or do I work out? And, right, and it's stunts development, and it's not efficient. You know, if Major League Baseball wants to be more efficient with with these guys, you're going to have to do this eventually. And hopefully, there will be something over during the odd uh, during the season that can get on the wrist of Major League players, kind of like last year's fair ball um, wristbands uh, that kind of bring more attention to it to the national media, to the nation's attention, and baseball fans as well. But I wanted to move on to something I saw last night that just it, 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 Todd Van Stiesel, he spent what a half? He spent an, an off season with us. Like, didn't we have him for like a minute? In I know he was in spring training one year. We were in his. I think his mom reached out to us and was like, "Take a picture with your son." And like, we were, it was our first year in spring training together. Us, you know, and you know, we didn't. Want, and I saw him, and he looked at me. I looked at him. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, same. I saw him. He was out on the field doing doing warm ups. You know, yeah. so I'm not gonna. Yeah, I didn't feel right yelling out when I while wow, the guy's doing his job. Right. Um, yeah, uh, 2019, he was with the Padres. They signed him in March of 2019, and I don't think he collected any stats uh, with an affiliated team. No, but he I, was at least here for uh, for spring training. Yeah, I, I think he didn't even make it out of spring training. Yeah. Um, but, but he this, had a long career with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. And so what you're getting at, there was he posted this this Twitter thread where he kind of went through all of his struggles just to try to get to the next level uh, and his frustrations with it. So go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So it's hashtag MILB story. I got called up from Cedar Rapids to Fort Myers in June 2014 after throwing well in Cedar Rapids. I pitched well in Fort Myers in my in my few months here. There, excuse me. Had a 1.52 ERA and 16 appearances. I was 23 years old at the time. In 2015, I got sent back to Fort Myers. Totally expected. Now, Fort Myers is A-ball. Um, Cedar Rapids is, um, is is low A. I think Fort Myers is high A. So totally expected. I figured pitch well here. Maybe by the All-Star break, I can get to double A. I pitch well. I make the All-Star team in 2015. I think I had like a 1.8 ERA or something at the time. Didn't get called at the double A. End of the season with a 2.32 ERA. I think it should start in double A in 2016. He thinks. You know, and then there's a well. smiley face and it's kind of melting. Like, right. oh, how, how naive must I, I have been? Exactly. Spring training comes around. I do well. 
But then te- they, but they tell me I'm going back to Fort Myers. So I figure just pitch well, eventually I'll get called up. Pitch well, make another all-star team, and nothing. A spot opens up in double A, and I think, okay, here we go. Should be me. Nope. The twins sign a free agent and send him to double A. I don't sleep at all that night. God, he just must be pissed. Uh, frustrated. The next day, I'm at, I'm at, I'm first at the field and wait for the manager to get there so I could just have a chat with him. I tell him how I feel. I say I can't get to the big leagues if I'm stuck in high A every year. I said I've seen players leave the Twins and have success elsewhere and name names and ask how, him how possible it would be to get my release to explore other options. He said he doesn't think the Twins would give me my release and would be risky. Hell, yes, it would be risky, but was a chance I was, what was, a chance I was willing to take. My stock was high. Just pitched in an all-star game. Vila was sitting 94 to 96. Someone could give me a chance. Eventually, he says, give it some time and think about it. So I do. One fun, sad thing about spending so much time in Fort Myers was I had the chance to accumulate a lot of appearances. On a summer day in Braderton, I became the second Fort Myers pitcher to appear at 100 games. And then he's got a little little smiley face emoji with the tear. Like, I'm right. happy, but I shouldn't be happy. <laughs> Thank you for explaining those emojis to me. <laughs> Emojiologist, Roy. Um, a, few, a few guys I played with over the years congratulated me and gave me hugs in the dugout. Very similar to the scenes when someone gets a 3,000 MLB hit in the minor leagues. After the game, I just sat in the dugout and was like, I'm going to be stuck here forever. That same emoji. We yeah, get there's August. a lot of the of the smiley face with the tear emojis in this thread. Yes, we get to August 2016 and another pitcher gets injured in double A and straight away. Some friends in double A messaged me again if I got called up and I hadn't heard anything, but didn't get my hopes up because no expectations, no disappointments. We were still in St. Lucie and I was in my hotel room with a few guys and we were watching. I love you, man. Great movie. During the movie, my Fort Myers manager calls me and says, I'm going to double A. So excited. Go back to my room, tell the guys, and they all congratulate me. Get to double A the next day, and the manager makes a joke and says, he's finally here, the mayor of Fort Myers. <laughs> you know, and that's a, that's a way for a, for a manager, I think, to have fun with it. And at the same time, going like, I, we have no control over this. Right, um, right. Yeah, these decisions are being made a couple of levels above them. Absolutely. So the next day in spring training, I joined the Fort Myers group, and the pitching coach looks at me with a look on his face that says a whole lot without saying anything was basically this. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's. I think that's Loki from, uh, isn't that? Yeah. It's Tom, uh, what's his name, Edelston, and I think that's when he's playing Loki in one of those movies. Um, so uh, let me back up here. So he gets there finally here, the mayor of Fort Myers. I pitched well in my few weeks there, 2.25 ERA in my eight, eight innings pitch. So I figured I'll start in double A in 2017. Ah, just kidding. They tell me in spring training that I'm going back to Fort Myers. The next day in spring, I joined the Fort Myers group and the pitching coach looks at me with a look on his face that says a whole lot without saying anything was basically this. I'm so sorry. The day before 2017 season begins, I get told I'm going to double-A. Happy days. Bad weather in the area meant I couldn't fly out, so the Twins asked me if I wanted to drive. Drive to Chattanooga on my way? So I'm like, yes, because if I say no, they'll sign someone else. Laugh out loud. <laughs> How about that? You, you drive out, and by the time you get there, there's somebody else 
like taking your name off the locker and putting somebody else's name on there. You have to Google <laughs> where Bradenton to Chattanooga is. That's like a gotta be a 12 hour drive easily. I mean, just gotta be something stupid. Even if they're somewhere high up in that Florida league, that's an insanely long distance. All right. So I ended up driving to Chattanooga. Long story short, in double A, I had one of my best seasons, 1.38 ERA and 58 and two thirds innings pitch and three innings with no runs allowed. Uh, they had three innings pitch with no runs allowed in the playoffs. Not bad, right? You'd think it'd be enough to be able to start in double A or triple A next year. Wrong. 2018 comes around back to my double A, back to double A, my guy. And I figured pitch well by the all star game can be in triple A. Okay. So this is you know, the, the level of like, you know, just grinding out when they call my, you know, baseball, the baseball season, a grind, like this is being grinding out a season of constantly being kicked in the shins. And well, this is season after season after season of right. grinding like that. Right. Um, wrong. Make the all-star game. So I went to the all-star game again and played with some of the best prospects in baseball. Again, I figured my time has to be soon. Wrong. I get hurt for the first time in my career, spend two weeks on the IL and then get released because they don't have a spot for me. When I was packing my bags in the clubhouse that night, everyone was asking me if I got called up the AAA. I had to tell them I was released. So I go back to Fort Myers to spend some time there before going home, going to a miracle game to see some friends. And the AAA pitching coach was there. He says to me, we weren't, wait, uh, we were waiting for you to join us in Rochester. What happened? You tell me, man, laugh out loud. I don't make these decisions. So that was the entirety of my twins career. You know what they say? Don't like it. Play better. I honestly don't know more what more I could have done in five seasons. 190 games, 289 and two thirds innings pitched, 213 hits, 73 ER uh, earned runs, 133 base on balls, 317 Ks, a 2.26 ERA and a 1.19 whip. That's a heck of a career. That's a hell of a career. I once heard 20 of you are here, so the other five have a team to play for. Now, that's something we do talk about a little bit on this podcast. Mm -hmm. You have the two or three guys on any given level of play that are going to probably make it to the major leagues. If not, they are going to give them the most chances to succeed, and that's kind of how the minor leagues work. Yeah, and, and it became increasingly clearer over the years I was one of the 20. All a part of it, though, I got to do some cool things and make great friends, so it wasn't completely awful. Life isn't fair. We all know that. But it sucks when you don't think you're treated fairly. Professional baseball is very hard and very much not fair, depending on who you are. This is the condensed version of my uh, one part of my MILB career. If someone wants to pay me to write a book, I'm sure I could whip out a few hundred pages. You might get some offers about that, too. I could see a, a, a fun little series on like on The Athletic or something like that. Yeah, some uh, some essays about what it's like because he's got a ton of stories of things that he ran into yeah. out on the road and just I mean being from yeah. I believe he's from Australia. Yeah, he is. Uh, yep, and Taylor Swift loves that guy. Oh, all right. Yeah, I think he said Taylor Swift says I'm perfect on his on his Twitter. I gotta I gotta see this. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, Taylor <laughs> Swift called me perfect. Your opinion, your opinion, your opinion isn't valid. <laughs> yeah, once you hear that, I don't think you need to hear anything else. Well, that's another thing about this, you know, uh, time, it, you know, he has some insight into this. He has some distance between this. So it's, a, you know, it's a funny story. Um, it's his, it's his life. Um, he's, I don't think he's bitter about it. I'm sure there's some bitterness there, but like, you know, it's just, he's just another one of those stories of guys that do well 
um, and don't get a move anywhere because they weren't picked in the top 10 or top five or, you know, weren't just given that investment from the team. Right. Yeah. He, uh, he was released in 2018. So this is almost four years ago. Uh, the, the Padres gave him a little bit of a chance and it looks like he's played in Mexico a little bit since then. Uh, yeah. At some point you look around and you go, you know, I guess, I guess this is my career. I guess this is it. You know, try to figure out what my life is after baseball. Yeah. And every year I think he plays in, uh, in the Australian league as well. Right. Right. All right, so let's move on to something else. We've got a little bit of, uh, of I don't know if this is necessarily news, but an article from yeah. Ben Badler that I look forward to every year where he goes over the international reviews um, and highlights some players that each team has signed as amateur free agents. Uh, this used to be the June 2nd. They called it the J2 class. Yeah. Now they've moved that that deadline to early in January. Uh, you know, But every year, teams sign amateur free agents. Uh, you, some of them wind up going on to the Dominican summer league. Some of them get to come stateside. And eventually if things play out, well, we see a couple of these guys in the major leagues. So, you know, most of these guys are 16, 18 years old. You know, there's a lot of development left to do. So all you can really do is, is look at the kid, look at his, you know, his frame and what is it that stands out to the scouts and kind of dream about what could this guy be six, eight years from now? Cause that's really the, the timeline for most of yeah. these kids. Yeah, absolutely. So the top of the class, uh, so he says, once the pandemic hit major league baseball, shut down international scouting until September, 2020. When that happened, Dominican right-hander Jarlene Susana uh, emerged showing electric stuff for a 16 year old running his fastball up to 96 miles an hour. Susanna would have been eligible to sign on January 15th, 2021, but with teams having committed most of their bonus pool money for that signing period already, Susanna opted to wait another year to sign with the Padres on January 15th, 2022 for $1.7 million. That's a pretty large bonus in today's landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Once a long lean pitcher, Susanna has bulked up to six foot six, 235 pounds and added more velocity with a chance to reach triple digits. He now sits around 93 and 96, touching 98. He throws two breaking balls. Um, there's a slider and a curveball. It sounds like they kind of blend in together, but that's what pitching development is all for. Yeah. Um, and he has a change up. He's still years away from the big leagues with plenty of risk, but he has the raw stuff that stacks up well among the top 18 year old high school seniors eligible for the 2022 draft. And I think that's a good, a good way to kind of frame it. Like, cause right. you, you see these videos of these kids that are 14, 16, 18 years old um, and to put it in context with how, where would that kid be if they were playing stateside? Okay. This right. 18 year old. So he'd be a senior. Okay. Kid 16. This is a sophomore in high school that you're right. looking at, right. you know, right. Okay, so the next one, Cuban shortstop Yendry Rojas. Uh, they signed him for one point three million dollars. He, uh, Ben Badler, calls him. Uh, uh, he says after signing one of the most talented left-handed hitters in twenty twenty-one, when they signed outfielder Samuel Zavala, the Padres acquired one of the best landed left-handed bats from Latin America this year with Rojas. Uh, he says he has a high contact rate with extra base extra base damage and a chance for future above-average power. He's an average runner with a plus arm. Um, he's exclusively an infielder. Some scouts think he has a chance for shortstop, although second base and third base could be future uh, destinations. And again, this kid's 16. Yeah. So who knows what his body is going to develop into? You know, some guys get thick. Some guys retain that athleticism. Who knows? 
And then the next category, he calls this names to know. Rosman Verdugo, shortstop out of Mexico. One of the top prospects for this year from Mexico, Verdugo shows actions in the batter's box and feel for hitting that are advanced for his age. He's a calm, controlled hitter with pure swing and disciplined approach with the patience to take his walks and ability to spread the ball to all fields. That kind of reminds me of what we were hearing about uh, Tirso Ornelas when he was uh, a high school or, a, you know, a teenager. Right. Right, right, right. So again, who knows what he's going to look like six years from now. Uh, so his offensive game sticks out the most with average speed underway and a solid to average arm at shortstop. He could develop, he should develop as a shortstop with a chance to stick there, but he could fit at second or third base too. Next on the list is Michael Munoz, third baseman from Venezuela. He is uh, six foot four and 210 pounds with the raw power to match. He has a flat right-handed bat path with plus raw power that has a chance to develop into a 70 tool in the future. Um, if he can remain, retain his athleticism and mobility, he has the plus arm strength to handle third base. Although there's risk that he might outgrow the position and flip over to first base. Absolutely. Which, uh, yeah. I mean, that comes with being six foot four. How many yeah. guys are six foot four, 210 pounds as a teenager, and then keep that body shape. You know, usually right, they wind right. up, built a little bit differently by the time they're 25. Exactly. So let's move on to uh, Brian. Is that right? Brian. That's Salazar. how it's spelled. I think yep. it's simply Brian, but that's how they spell Brian, Brian, Brian Salazar, left-handed pitcher from Venezuela. Salazar, Salazar has a lot of projection, projection arrows pointing up. He's young for the class and is an athletic mover on the mound with more space to fill out his projectable six, three frame. Often in the mid-80s and touching a tick higher during the tryout process, Salazar, by the time he signed, had reached 92 miles an hour. With a fast, whippy arm for more velocity to come once he gets stronger, he shows feel for a promising slider as well as that could develop into an out pitch. I don't like the, the whippy arm. That, that tells me Tommy John all day, but some people can get away with it. Throwing 92, you know, it, it's 18 years old or 16 years old. It's not too shabby. Well, he, he describes him kind of as a, as a string bean at six foot three. Yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of Henry Henry there because yeah. he's, he's got that whippy motion and it's calmed down and he's avoided Tommy John surgery. Knock on wood. Yeah. And, and Henry Henry's not doing too bad in double A as well. Right. So Oliver Sedano is the next guy to shortstop. They love the Venezuelans at, at around five foot 11, 165 pounds. Sedano is a switch hitting shortstop who stands out for his instincts and baseball IQ has a good bat control with a compact swing, going with where the ball is pitched to spray it around the field. Though he will need to get stronger to drive the ball for more damage, he has a good access at shortstop where his savvy for the game is evident with a knack for being in the right place at the right time. I like hearing that kind of stuff. Yeah. It seems like Preller has moved away from the guys that are like super raw toolsy. Yeah. But – and he's picking up more guys that are like high baseball IQ, the instincts kind of, because there are things you just can't teach on a baseball right. field, right? The, the awareness and, and all of that. Yeah, okay. Next, next is Estuar Suero outfielder from the Dominican Republic, six foot five, 180 pounds. So he's tall, athletic, and has a ton of space to fill out. Um, he has a little more power from the right side with a chance to have plus raw power from both sides. So a switch hitter. Nice. Uh, with a tick above average speed and long strides, Suero runs well enough for now to develop in center field where he has a solid to average arm that could tick up once he gets bigger. He probably heads to right field. 
Um, and then he closes his article with a little sleeper watch. Juan Murillo is a 20-year-old Cuban shortstop who wasn't getting a ton of attention in the Dominican Republic, but he's a plus-plus runner who should develop somewhere in the middle of the field. And that sounds like the A.J. Preller special right there. Right, right. Shortstop center field with flashes of solid raw power from the right side of the plate. And another Cuban player the Padres signed, Aizon Delgado, is 18 with plus speed, good defensive actions in center field, and a fairly simple fluid swing from the right side. So there's what six, eight, ten names to to jot down, and when we go out to Peoria, take a look around and try to find these guys. Well, what do yeah. they look like? Where do they think they're going to go? Yeah. We might see some of these guys in the Dominican Summer League once that starts up later on. Probably not. Chances are they're just right. going to be in the uh, you know in in camp for another year or two before they finally start playing in actual games. Yeah, that first full year in camp, and uh, you know, it first full one or two years in camp at the Peoria complex really just kind of lets these kids establish a baseline. Not only just establish a baseline, but God, they just got to learn how to be a professional baseball player. And that's so important for, uh, for these young kids to come to a new country, you know, in, in a foreign land, learning the culture, trying to learn professional, trying to learn how to be a professional baseball player and just kind of be able to ease into, uh, into a league. But I wouldn't right. be surprised. Well, the, the Padres ahead. have a whole complex in the Dominican League too, or in yeah. the Dominican Republic. So, you know, that's these guys won't come stateside. Most of them won't come stateside for the first year or two of their development. Oh, that's right. In fact, I think even so, the way that the uniform contract works out, you know, the the clock doesn't start on that until they start playing. Um, actual affiliated ball, I believe. So by keeping them in the complex for another year, that's what helps get them that seventh year of, of club control. Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, the games people play. Well, that's how the major league play. That's how the major league organizations do it. Yep. They've been doing it for years. Anyways, yep. <laughs> that's what happens when you have a, a, an industry run by a bunch of lawyers. <sighs> Exactly. So let's move on to the affiliate rundown. Strike one. Sunday, the Storm Road stellar pitching to a sweep of the doubleheader and a series win over the Rockies' low-A affiliate. In the opener, South Bay native Victor Lizarraga worked a season-high five and two-thirds innings of one-run ball, striking out six along the way. After three starts to the 18-year-old sports, a 2.03 ERA with a 13-4 strikeout-to-walk ratio and 13 and a third innings. In game two, lefty Jesus Gonzalez was even more impressive, allowing just three singles over five innings. The 20-year-old from Venezuela has walked five and struck out only three in his 13 innings of work this year, but gets a ton of ground balls and is holding opponents to a 2-0-8 average. James Wood had three hits and a stolen base in the opener and added a double in the nightcap. Through six games, the 19-year-old from Maryland now sports a cool 435-536-913 line. So glad to see him back. Yes. Okay, so yes. strike two, Saturday in his second game back after sitting date 10 days as a precaution to rest a sore wrist, James Wood, 19, blasted a grand slam to right center field in the second inning to put the storm up 5 nothing. He was followed by his one-time travel ball teammate in Maryland, Jackson Merrill, who hit his first professional home run. Congratulations. I watched in both those home runs, and it was the first pitch for James. And it straight dead center. And you see this road in center field where it kind of goes up and the ball lands up halfway up. Like just, he just crossed it. It was guy that had to have been 450 feet. Man, watch out driving up that road when he's at bat. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so uh, um, in, four games in, tw- in four games and 20 plate appearances this year, Wood has six hits, a double, three home runs, and five walks. Merrill is now second in the California League in batting average at 389. Yeah, that's crazy that these kids are doing so well in their first year of yeah. you know, away from the complex. Uh, Garrett Hawkins, 22, had his third straight quality outing. The six foot five, 230 pounder from the University of British Columbia was a ninth round pick last year and was our pitcher of the year in the ACL with 27 strikeouts in 15.1 innings. Again, this is uh, from the Bad Friars daily write-ups. Yes. This year, Hawkins has 19 in 13.1 innings uh, against only one walk and his eight hits for a 2.03 ERA. Lucas Dunn had another nice night, reaching base four more times. Last year's eighth-round pick out of the University of Louisville is fourth in the Cal League with a 473 on base percentage and tied for second in both doubles and triples with four doubles, three triples. He's split time between first, second, and third base, but hasn't yet caught, even though the Padres were working with him there during spring training. Yeah, I see I, a lot of that, him at first. I'm wondering if that's more about you, you need you need people to catch bullpens, and right. in the weird situation where you've already pulled your starting catcher out of the game, somebody gets hurt, you got an emergency catcher. Yeah, yeah the, it, he doesn't strike me as the type that they might you know, try to convert to a catcher, because I mean the kid's hitting well, he's playing good defense everywhere they put him. It's just more of you know let's throw another tool in your in your belt. Right, right, and that's kind of what a ball does. It, it's you know in the spring training, you let's let's put them, let's see where they can fit and find a place for them. And he has played some really solid first base for for Lake Elsinore. Right, and there's no such thing as a bullpen catcher. Right. So like Tyler Malone is in is in Lake Elsinore right now. Yeah. Uh, he's I, the couple appearances that he's made so far have been in the outfield. But most of the days he's showing up and working as a catcher because the guys just they need somebody back there to catch. Yeah, absolutely. So strike three Wednesday, Jackson Merrill in 10 starts. He has five multi-hit games and his 440 OBP has him reaching base multiple times a game. Pierce Jones, who was selected as perhaps the Padres latest 20 last ever 26th round pick, had a grand night. Jones hit his first home run of the season, a grand slam to give the Stormer early 4-0 lead. While it is relevant that Jones is only playing as much as he is because of the injury to Wood, he's making the most of that playing time. Jones is hitting 242, 359, 455 on the young season. Look for him to make a push even when Wood is back. Are you uh, the- Kevin Kevin Charity had a really nice interview yeah. with Pierce Jones that they just published uh, today or yesterday. So yeah. I recommend uh, all of you Mad Friar subscribers go check that out. And if you're not a Mad Friar subscriber, shame on you. Subscribe. It's worth it. Absolutely. Arguably the top player on the team not named Merrill or Wood is Max Ferguson. Ferguson was the 2021 preseason All-American in college, but struggled a bit and fell to the Padres in the fifth round. Thank God this kid's a stud. Uh, Thus far this season, he has done exactly what he is known for. After one hit Wednesday to extend his season long on base streak, he's hit 306 with 12 walks in 10 games for 469 on base percentage. He leads the league with 10 stolen bases. He's done this while bouncing between second, his position at Tennessee, and outfield, his position in high school. Similar to Ruiz and Rosario, the Padres seem intent on getting these types of players comfortable playing in the infield and outfield. And he has the frame. He's a long, slender kid. He has the frame to play the outfield and to also play in the infield with with room for growth there as well, not to get too bulky. Right. He was playing center field in high school, and then in college he played – 
around the infield, you just whatever you need him to do. He's a ball player. I, I was looking at the at the lineups for the storm and the top of that lineup with Merrill Wood, Jack uh, uh, Ferguson and Dunn. And that's that's a murderer's row at the top of the lineup with four guys that they can mash. Absolutely. All right. So moving on to Fort Wayne, uh, Josh Mears has been awarded the high a Midwest leagues player of the week for April 18th through 24th. The 21 year old outfielder has hit a league high five home runs and had a league best 10 RBIs in six road games last week against the Lansing lug nuts, the Oakland A's affiliate. He posted a 368 batting average and a 1.718 OPS. Mears also doubled twice, walked once and was hit by two pitches. Uh, the last one of those, Hit him on the wrist. People were a little bit concerned, but he's back in the lineup today, so don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, I'm more worried about the ball than, yeah, really. than him. <laughs> uh, during the road trip, the right-handed batter from the state of Washington had a pair of games with two homers, the first on Wednesday and again in the opening game of a doubleheader on Saturday. Mir's final home run of the week Saturday night was measured to have traveled 504 feet out to left center field, according to TrackMan Technology. For context, since Major League Baseball began to use tracking technology in 2015, there has only been one homer hit further in a big league game. Nomar Mazzara of the Rangers, uh, now Padres minor leaguer, hit a 505-foot homer in 2019. Mears previously received national acclaim in spring training of last year. The 6'3", 230-pound slugger made the front page of MLB.com after homering off Colorado Rockies' Carlos Estevez, a six-year Major League veteran, the home run's exit velocity was measured at 117.3 miles per hour, which would have ranked in the top 10 in the 2021 MLB regular season. And he was 20 years old at the time. Yeah, I, I really I really tell you guys, you have to get the MILB TV um, subscription and watch this kid play. Uh, he is not only just his just chiseled his bat speed. He has a very short stroke and it's not a short load. And just from you look, look at his hands, you're like, holy cow, how does he generate that much speed? Just incredible bat speed, which allows him to, he can pull the ball and to hit the ball the other way. Um, it's just a fun thing to have that the uh, MILB TV app and, and watch these guys play. It's uh, 40 bucks for the season. Or if you want to go the long monthly, uh, monthly route, it's 1299. I think 1299 a month. Yeah. I was talking to a guy that's done a little bit of professional scouting and he brought up the name Mark Newsom uh, that he sees a little bit of Mark Newsom in him. Um, the guy that I've been, and I'm being optimistic, obviously Greg Vaughn. I remember him having yeah. that real short, quick swing just as a, as a power hitter. Now I think of Greg Vaughn being the, you know, thick, thick built guy, but what's Josh, uh, Joshua Mears going to look like in five or 10 years. Yeah. That's an um, excellent comp. Two of those home runs hit the scoreboard in left center. I think one of them left a dent in that scoreboard. <laughs> and just, so we were talking about this on Twitter that, okay, he's striking out like what? 37% of the time right now in high a ball, but he's only 21 and he's making adjustments. I mean, even David J was talking about how they've made some adjustments to kind of like loosen up his hands and get him a little bit more fluid at the plate. And which the idea, the goal is to, you know, increase the amount of contact. Yeah. Um, if they could make him even shorter, then he could start a little bit later and be a little bit more selective on the pitches. Um, but I, there are rare cases of guys with that kind of strikeout rate, but also that kind of power. And they still, they, they make their way up to the majors. Yeah. So Absolutely. who knows, but right now, holy cow, this guy's exciting. Yeah. 
tons of tons of stuff to mold there and tons and tons of potential and him and him and Hassel are just like the bass brothers man they are they are fantastic to watch so you got you've got merrill and wood in single a and then you've yep. got mears and Hassel in high a yeah so through okay the so first through game- the first games of the season mirrors a 2019 second round draft pick has hit seven home runs total to lead the midwest league and rank in the top five across all levels of minor league baseball he also leads the midwest league in slugging percentage 784 and extra base hits with 12 he started nine games in right field two in center and dh three times mlb.com rates him as the number 10 san diego padres prospect yeah and he's going to be he's going to be flying up those prospect charts this year yeah so strike two Sunday, the Tin Caps scored seven runs in the second inning to beat the Lansing Lugnuts on Sunday. Caps are off to their best start since 2009. Brandon Venezuela singled in Corey Rozier to start the scoring in the first. Venezuela, uh, Valenzuela's lead-grabbing single marked the eighth time for a win to score the first run this season. The Tin Caps are 7-1 when scoring first. In the second inning, Olivier, uh, Olivier, uh, Olivier Bazabi, thank you. Bazabi and Ripken Reyes both walked and scored on wild pitches. The biggest hits of the game uh, of the inning were RBI doubles for Robert Hassel and Valenzuela. Hassel doubled over the head of Lansing center fielder Austin Beck to score one, and Valenzuela, Valenzuela, God, why can't I say Valenzuela, doubled in a pair with a liner to the left center gap. Hassel, San Diego's top-rated prospect in the minors, upped his season batting average to 397 with a two-for-four performance. The outfielder also walked twice to elevate his on-base percentage to 455 and OPS to 1.093. Justin Lopez also singled in a pair of runs to cap off the inning. Lopez picked up some uh, one more single and another RBI before the game was done to finish two-for-five with the run and three RBIs. Angel Solarte singled and scored in the seventh. Solarte had a three-hit day, walked once, scored twice, and had two RBIs. So that came Justin from, Lopez is quietly yeah. having a nice season. He's, um, you know, and it's kind of a little bit long overdue. He he is kind of he's kind of wallowed in high A for uh, for the last two seasons. So it would be nice to maybe have him be the first one that kind of gets the call up because they have so much invested in him for so long. Yeah, right now he's batting two eighty six with a 340 on base and a 500 slugging Uh, one home run, one triple and four doubles on the season. Um, So it it would be nice to see him finally turn a corner because you watch him out there and man, he looks good, you know, during, during practice, during batting practice, when he's out there taking infield, does some, some great things on defense. It's just, everybody's waiting for the bat to come around. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So strike three, the, on Saturday, the tin caps hit seven home runs. A two-home run game from Joshua Mears led the Caps to a win, 13-9 in the first game. Then two home runs from Robert Hassel the third led Fort Wayne to its second victory, 6-2. Mears hit two towering blasts in the up, up opener. In the third inning, his homework caromed off the scoreboard. Mears also hit the video board in Day Air Ballpark in Dayton this year on April 10th. The outfielder's <laughs> second home run, which came in the sixth, was estimated to have traveled 504 feet. Um the Caps hit a third home run late in the game. First baseman Olivier Basabe cranked his first home run of the year down the left field line. On top of the homers, the Tin Caps also recorded four doubles in the first matchup, two from Jared Dale, one from Justin Lopez, and one from Angel Salarte. You know, they really kind of ran it up on, on Lansing. Yeah. It seemed like they just yeah. were running crazy at, at that ballpark. And the poor A's, I, just, I'm not sure about where the organization ranks is in – 
you know, where they rank in, in, in the list of, of uh, minor league system, but the A's organization itself, the major league team is just, it's so sad to watch, you know, the, with less than 2000, what, 2000, uh, 2000 people in attendance for one game at 3000 with actual game time being true. Uh, I think the 2000 was, uh, they changed the time on that game. Um, you watch the Reds game today with the Padres and there are, Everyone's going to get a foul ball. Like if they hit 20 foul balls, everyone's going to get a ball. It's just, it's disgusting how, you know, before the lockout, some of what they were trying to do was stopping this folding, this tanking of, uh, of teams uh, to get these draft picks. And it didn't, it seemed like they almost, you know, the A's and the Reds seemed like to do it almost for spite. Right. Well, and the, the, the Reds kind of turned it up to another level when they're, the, the president of the, the team president went on the radio and said some things he probably should not have said. Well, he definitely should not have said. And it, it was said out of things some said out of frustration, but it kind of came across as a middle finger to the fans. So that's why we're seeing so many empty seats in the Reds ballpark. But in Oakland, it seems just so clear that they're dead set on getting out of that town. It reminds yeah. me of the, the closing days of the Chargers being here in San Diego only the chargers had to have a salary floor. And so they still had to put some kind of a product on the field. You know, the A's, they trade away all the good players. They increased a bunch of season ticket prices yep. to pretty much tell the fans, yeah, you know, you can show up if you want, but we don't care because they've got their eyes on moving to Las Vegas or somewhere else. Yeah. Well, and the city's really kind of doing that for them and, and kind of the owners. Um, same thing with the Raiders, you know, the Raiders, I, I can't see the Raiders anywhere else, but Oakland. Seeing them in Vegas, just, I mean, if both those teams move to Vegas, you know, if, if the A's follow them to Vegas, you know, that just tells me Oakland doesn't want, you know, obviously Oakland doesn't need a professional team. Uh, and, right. and Well, it's politics, it's finances. You know, so if you can't get somebody that's going to pony up a billion dollars to build a ballpark and they know how to work the city to, to, to acquire the land and all that stuff, it's just not going to happen. And now these days, these owners, they're, they're trying to hold the city's hostage yeah. to, to cough up a whole bunch of that money. When meanwhile, all these studies have shown that when the city does financially back the building, the construction of the stadium, they never get a return on their investment. It's the owners that wind up making the profit on it. Right. Right. That's Develop, development around the ballpark. Yeah. We, we love the, the sport, but we hate the business. Yeah. Oh man. So okay. Take us to, to San Antonio. Right. Let's take it to double A San Antonio. So strike one Sunday, Chris given no batting gloves. Chris given led a 13 hit attack for the missions with a pair of singles and a double as the club, as the club won their second straight to finish their series in the panhandle against the beloved at Hodgetown. God damn. <laughs> the sod poodles. The sods. The sods. Oh my poodles, God. Sod poodles. That's uh, right. They're called the sod poodles. After the Jorge owner connected on his third homer of the year, but finished the series just three for 20 with six strikeouts in four games. As Stuart Ruiz continued to set the table for the top of the missions lineup, reaching base three more times Sunday. The 23-year-old outfielder is second in the Texas League with a 556 on-base percentage while batting 407. As Dewey Ruiz coming out season, definitely he's fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Righty Moises Lugo picked up the win with two scoreless innings of relief. The 23-year-old righty has had a pair of rough outings early, spiking his ARA up to 9.45. He's fought his command so far, issuing seven walks in six and two-thirds innings. 
During his late season run with the missions last year, he allowed eight free passes in 15 innings. Now during, you know, in a ball and then high a last year, he was almost a must must watch uh, pitcher. You bring him up to double a, and there's some adjustment periods. You have to attack these guys. And um, you know, it, it just goes to show you that you have to attack these guys and trust your stuff. Right. Yeah. In, in regular single a, you can go out there with a couple of dominant pitches. And as long as you're in the strike zone, you're going to plow through guys. You get out to double A, you need to understand how to sequence, you know, how to move inside out, up and down. Because right. um, the batters are a little bit more, they're a little bit more uh, sophisticated. Yeah, absolutely. Advanced. All right. So it's strike two. On Saturday, San Antonio stopped their 10 game losing streak with a pinball machine victory at Hodgetown. The clubs have combined for 47 runs in the past two games. That's what happens in that North Texas win. Oh my God. So you might say that the park favors offense. So far this season, Estuary Ruiz and Robbie Podorsky have been the stars for the missions. Saturday, the first two hitters in San Antonio's order were on base seven times and had three extra base hits and scored seven runs. Tirso Ornelas, 22, has only one extra base hit, a homer, in 41 plate appearances, but he's posting a 308, 357, 385 line. Corey Howell, 23, the other prospect acquired in the trade with Milwaukee, has struggled so far, but he hit his second home run, his first triple for the Michigan Saturday. Uh, with the Brewers, he was mainly an outfielder. With San Antonio, he's also played in center and right field at shortstop and in second base. Second might be his best position for him defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Strike three Friday in a series that has seen a multitude of lead changes with most of leaning in Amarillo's favor. This is a horrible game. Um, the San Antonio Missions continued to battle to end their losing streak after taking a 7-1 lead. Amarillo scored seven runs to take the lead. San Antonio battled back and ended up scoring 15 runs with 21 hits to end their losing streak. The Missions defeated Amarillo by a final score of 15-11. to The Missions offense got off to a hot start on Saturday night's ball game as Stewie Ruiz doubled the start off the game and extended his on-base streak to 14 games. After a strikeout, Ruiz successfully stole third base and Brandon Dixon drew a walk. Just Ronellas came up clutch with an RBI single. As Drew Ruiz has reached base in all 14 games he's played. So Corey Howe went two for five with the HR, a triple, two runs, and two RBIs in a K. Tierso uh, went three for six with three RBIs in a K. Augustin Ruiz uh, went one for five with a run and two K. Now, yeah, I watched true. that game. Go ahead. Yeah, you please. Well, I just watched that game, that whole series in in Amarillo, and the wind, it was just, I mean, just howling. Like the, the flags in the outfield were just, I mean, they were flapping straight. It was insane how um, now, and now I can see why the Padres kind of, I don't know what the innards of that was, but certainly you can't judge development with wind blowing out like that. Maybe pitching, but certainly you can't judge hitting because you guys are just going to rake. And I think John Connell told me once, he's like, look, you can hit all right out of Hodgetown. Like, and that's, that says a lot. The ball yeah. What? I mean, it, 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 you can't judge the box score. That's the thing is you can't look at the stats of the guys in, in double A, especially the guys that play there, play there a lot. Uh, was, I mean, Mackenzie Gore made one outing there and it was 25 miles an hour blowing dead out. Yeah. And there was, there's nothing you can do. You know, yeah. batter hits a can of corn. And it's 10 rows deep. I mean, I saw a little bit of that in Las Vegas last weekend, uh, but I was going to talk about Estuary Ruiz. Um, it, when he was here in Lake Elsinore, 
he was just, he was wild. He was a wild stallion. He was, he was running into outs a lot. He was swinging at stuff that you shouldn't swing at. Now he's never struck out a ton. He's always walked a fair amount. um, But it's the other stuff that happens in between the things that show up on the, on the box score. Right. Uh, And it sounds like he's, he's, gotten a lot of that stuff under control while still being able to maintain the aggressiveness at the plate and on the bases. What I'm really curious to know is what people think of him as a center fielder or an outfielder. You know, they converted him from being a second baseman because a little bit of, you know, little errors and footwork and all this kind of stuff. So if they really do believe in him as a center fielder, then he should have a future in, in major league baseball one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the maturity is for him is huge as well because he all the tools are there, and if you develop that and you know listen to your instruction, and and you know take your development serious, you certainly can make those changes and become a pretty damn good ball player. But let's get on to sure. El Paso. Well, we're actually going to go to Las Vegas where. Yeah. Uh, Angela and I drove out to Las Vegas last Thursday. We got to attend a couple of baseball games. Uh, but the highlight of my trip was meeting Finn the Bat Dog and his understudy Lambo. Hold on. So, he has an understudy? How does that he work? Does. Is yeah. it a little puppy? Is it a puppy or is it another dog? She, well, she's a younger dog. I think she's still okay. less than a year old. Uh, and Finn is a little bit older. I don't know how old he is, right. but uh, both of them have so much energy. You just, you see them when they're out there doing their yeah. job and it's like, they just, they just want to go crazy. <laughs> so uh, but it's, it's so cute. If you guys haven't seen this on, on Twitter or whatever, yep. They have a dog when somebody hits, drops the bat. Then after the play is over, the dog goes out, gets the bat and brings it back to the dugout. Um, they do this for the first few innings of the game. And then the dogs go home and the bat boys take over their normal job. They only do it for the home team. Uh, Finn is the primary and he's, like I said, he's a little older and the, and he's a black lab and Lambo is a chocolate lab. Um, and so before the game, I reached out to the Twitter account. And I told Finn, I wanted to be respectful. I know that Finn has an important job, a lot of responsibilities. Exactly. But before the game, they do some warm up exercises and then they come over by the screen behind home plate to, to meet the fans. And Finn jumps up on the padding and he'll lay down there and you can get your picture taken with him. So we went out, we got a chance to meet them both. And then Saturday was Finn, the bat dog t-shirt night. Oh, so dude, they dude, gave you away with you. I want to see this thing. Ah, we got there about five minutes too late to get a shirt. They gave away oh. a thousand of them and we got there about 20 minutes after the gates opened and they just ran out. So I didn't get one, but if you go on Finn's account, you can see him modeling one. He looks very handsome in his very <laughs> own t-shirt. Um, so I'm very grateful to, uh, to their trainer. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of the fun things of minor league yeah. baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's the cutest thing. They watch the dog, you know, <laughs> I can yeah. pick up the bed. And occasionally you see someone, if it's a player or if it's an umpire who will like see that and then like throw the bat away. And he just gets crushed on Twitter because the umpire will just throw the bat away when the dog went there to pick it up. The dog kind of sits there for a minute. Like what? Hold on. My job. You just, what do I do now? Okay. I'm going to go back. There was one. So there was one play where I think it was a check swing. What was it? for some reason, the batter thought it was ball four and he goes trotting down the line, drops the bat. Finn goes up, (laughs) picks up the bat 
And then the batter had to come back. Everybody was kind of confused on this play. Batter right. had to come back and continue the at bat. And so the, uh, the, the trainer had a command for Finn to drop the bat. So he picked it up, took a couple steps, dropped the bat and went scurrying back over to his little, his little spot. Ugh, was, wipe off all the slobber. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering about that. You when the dog, I mean, labs have a pretty soft mouth. You know, they're yeah. supposed to be able to pick up ducks or whatever and not harm them. But you got to figure a dog picks up the bat. He's got to leave little impressions and stuff in the bats. Yeah. I wonder if there's some players that are like, eh, I don't want the dog touching my right. bat. Well, even, even then, you only they only do it for a couple of innings, right? Because you don't want right. the dog. You know, there's, there's weight. There's some torque when you're picking up the soft end of the barrel. You know, the, the, you know, the handle of the bat and then you have the heavy barrel in the end. You don't want that wearing on the dog's teeth, you know, probably it's kind of bad. So it's kind of cute for a little bit. It's fun. The kids love it. Um, and that's one of the including you know, us said. big kids. Right. It's one of the cool things about minor league baseball. Yeah. OK, so strike one on Sunday, the El Paso Chihuahuas beat the Las Vegas Aviators six five Sunday to split the six game series. El Paso has played three series this year and has won three games and lost three in all of them. Trace Thompson went two for four with a double and a two run home run. It was Thompson's eighth homer this season, tying Minos Reno's Matt Davidson for the Pacific Coast League lead. Thompson's 16 RBIs are the second most in the league. Thompson played five games in the series and hit four home runs. And I can tell you, I, I saw a couple of those home runs and they were not cheap shots. He nice. hit an absolute monster in Thursday's game that it says Las Vegas aviators and yeah. big letters up left field. And it hit way up in between a couple of those letters. Wow. Uh, um, El Paso leadoff hitter, Matthew Batten went three for five set Sunday and has 21 hits this season, which is the third most in the PCL. So talking about trace Thompson, yep. Will Myers is struggling. Trent Grisham's off to a very difficult start. Both of those guys are major league hitters. I see people calling for Trace Thompson. Right. Watch those highlights of Trace Thompson and the pitches that he's hitting. He's getting some belt high sliders that are just hanging up there, cement mixers. So he's seen his whole career, he's been kind of a foray hitter. He's always right. been kind of on the fringe as the fourth outfielder. He can play center field, and, but then his batting line never really stacks up. And then he goes back to AAA and just mashes, but that's because he's a good fastball hitter. He's a really good mistake hitter. So okay. if you leave a fastball belt high, he's going to hurt it. But you don't see that with Major League pitching a whole lot. Right. And you don't want to bring up a guy just because, you know, have a guy sit because he's struggling for several games to bring a guy up. You want to have those major league guys with a track record, continue to get at bats, continue to get better and find, you know, try to find it. Absolutely. But we'll see. So strike two Friday, Trace Thompson hit a two run over in the top of the fifth inning to break a scoreless tie. It was Thompson's seventh homer of the season, which is the second one. Did we do shred this? Well, I I read Sunday, so you're backing up to Friday, but a lot of these stats are kind of, we already kind of covered that. God, they are. His 14 RBIs are tied for second most in the league. Thompson also homered on Thursday night. Just his homer, he's, he's the homer, homer hungry. Guy's just raking. Uh, mm -hmm. third, baseman, uh, third baseman CJ Hinagosa went three for four with two doubles and an RBI for the Chihuahuas. Hinagosa has three extra base hits in his last five at-bats. Ryan Weathers pitched four shutout innings, but allowed seven base runners in his fourth start of the season, tossing four scoreless frames in perhaps the most hitter-friendly environment in the PCL is no small feat. He topped under 94 and with his fastball and located it well, but both were more scattered with his slider and change. Now, I, you know, we say this a lot about the PCL. is It's a horrible place to 
and, and develop pitching. You know, if if you like you said, like if you pitch, you throw strikes, guys are gonna hit the ball the way these fields are. Most of the fields here are very hitter friendly. Vegas is a very hitter friendly ballpark. So you get these outs that you know these balls hit that usually might just you know maybe be a pop fly in the outfield or something maybe in the gap, you know, find themselves out. And with Ryan, I just it seems like that seems to be the issue. And and then he's just losing the command. But when he's giving up, when he's throwing strikes, they're hitting the ball. Right, right. Uh, so strike three, we're going to talk about Thursday's game. And that was the first one that I attended. And that was one of the windiest ball games I've attended. It was crazy windy. And I was surprised that we didn't see more balls just flying out over that right field fence. It seems like most of the hard hit balls were going to left field. Wind was blowing out to right. Uh, anyway, on Thursday, Jesse Schultens did not have his best stuff of the season. Uh, his ERA only raised to 1.69 after a scorching start to the year, but he gave El Paso five innings of three run ball. And in the PCL, that's darn near a quality start. Schultens is the veteran of the staff, having spent all of 2021 with the Chihuahuas. And those three runs that he gave up were his first three of the season. I think his, I think he was through two uh, scoreless outings. Evan Miller turned in a key two innings of one hit scoreless relief. 26-year-old righty now has a .81 whip and 13 strikeouts in eight and two-thirds innings of work. Uh, it, it was not a clean two innings, but nope. he got through it. And I mean, the guys got a slider that they did not know what to do with. Um, he was he was challenged with his control a little bit. You issued a few free, free passes, uh, but two innings of scoreless runs, uh, scoreless innings in that game are, is pretty significant. Um, old friend, Adrian Martinez is now pitching in the A's organization. He's now in, El in Las Vegas. Uh, he struck out four of the first seven chihuahuas he faced, but then things changed in the third inning when a wild pitch played at the first run. Then Eggie Rosario singled in Thomas Malone, who easily scored on the hit and run play. Rosario now has hits in two straight games after cooling off over the past week at the plate. Malone reached base three times, a season high for the 27-year-old outfielder. So Eggie Rosario, he's looking pretty overmatched. That's what Easy. I was seeing okay. uh, on, on Thursday and Saturday. He was looking pretty overmatched at the plate, but he's young and he's he's making a pretty big leap up. And I'm sure they're giving him a lot of responsibility playing every day like he is. Yeah. Um, well, it, so it's, you have to challenge a guy. You have to see how he faces adversity and works his way through it. I think it's another one of those wild challenges as well. You watch his at-bats and he's just... He's swinging. He is not getting cheated on any of his swings where you think he would just like, if you could just back it off just a little bit and be a little more selective, you could probably start connecting to some of these pitches, but you do, you see him like he's going to swing at the ball, no matter where it's pitched well before it's thrown, he's going to swing at it. Right. And, and, and occasionally he'll connect and like, Oh, what? there we go. Um, but that's, you know, that's development. Like you said, he's super young. Uh, another kid I think is on the rise as well as Estrue Ruiz, Evan Miller, Doing well. So stoked to see him doing well, finding a oh, role yeah. in, in AAA nonetheless. Yeah. A 0.81 whip in the, uh, in the Pacific coast league is nothing to shake, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So, Hey, I wanted to, so we're done with the affiliate rundown. What I want to talk about for a minute here is we are developing, I'm having developed a shirt uh, with, with Jackson Merrill and James Wood on it. And it's going to be the damage duos. We're going to have this shirt available for sale. And what we're doing with this, like we did all the years past, is we're taking that money and we're going to um, partner with, I'm going to, this year we're going to partner with a Dr. Minor Leaguer and have a Chipotle gift card giveaway. So when you buy the shirt, it doesn't go in our pocket. I don't, we don't want to make any money from this. It's going to go into buying the uh, 
50 $25 Chipotle gift cards that we'll be giving to both teams. It'll be the storm. And I think we're looking at a end of July, um, uh, end of July game with the Vasilia Rawhide. Or no, sorry, with the Stockton Ports. With the Stockton Ports. So it'll be 25 for them, 25 for the storm. Uh, the shirt's really cool looking. There's a picture that I took of them uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, so look for that coming up here sometime this week. Um, cool as hell. Yeah, More that's swag. that's exciting. That's yeah. great. And you you've put putting this work out, you know, working with talking to the players, talking to their agents, making sure that we're allowed to use their likeness, uh, talking to somebody coming up with a design. They came up with a pretty cool design here. I think this is gonna look great on a shirt. Yeah. Uh, and we're gonna do something nice for the players that yeah. you know, the end of a long season, and they're not getting their raise yet. This thirty five thousand dollar campaign, uh, that's that's kind of a pipe dream right now. Yeah, right, that's a right. long way. So until then, these guys are still making what barely a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, uh, below below poverty wages. It's just, it's, I, I hate it, and we keep talking about it, and it stinks. <sighs> I love the sport. I, I I hate the business. Right, but it's slowly starting to change, and it's slowly starting to. Uh, you know, some of this is taking traction. It's got some traction, you know. Right. right. So you guys out there, you can get a get a nice T-shirt and show some support for a couple of guys that are on the way up, and and then we can pass that along to some players that that truly need a little little uh, little assistance. Absolutely. Well, that's all I got. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Let's go, Padres. Go Padres. Let's see, I gotta get away.